Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Jumpcast, the podcast from the award-winning team behind Jumpcut Online. My name is Sarah Buttery and I am your host for another Disney Classics episode and I am joined by my fabulous, magical and wonderful co-host Barry Lovett. Barry, how are you doing today? I am doing great. Um, according to very popular consensus in the Disney historian world, we have left uh, the Disney Renaissance. Mm. Uh, the typical time frame is from Lol, Little Mermaid, which includes the rescuers down under, all the way to Tarzan, and then it ends, and the, <laughs> essentially the Dark Ages begin. Mm. Um, but I, I don't think it's true. I think we talked pretty extensively during, and I get to, I get to mention it again, so I'm very happy, The Great Mouth Detective. Um, but that is, but that to us is very much the beginning of the Disney Renaissance, and I, mm-hmm. I think it ends right here, mm-hmm. uh, with with Fantasia 2000. Fantasia 2000 isn't really uh, emblematic or or uh, symbolic of any of the other Renaissance films. It's it's another package film. It's our last package film, uh, and the first one we've had since '77 with Winnie the Pooh, mm-hmm. uh, and then before that, all the way back in the wartime era. So we've only had two package films in the last uh, 50, 60 years or so. So they're not very common anymore, and this is the last one. And it's nothing like the other Renaissance films, but it is pretty spectacular, if I say so myself. And I I, I, I tweeted this the other day, or I, I wrote it on Letterboxd or something. I don't remember what social media I used. But I, you know, <laughs> I, I said that it's it's probably the most underappreciated Disney film. It's kind of the one that like everyone glosses over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's a lot of really amazing stuff in Fantasia 2000. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I forget that, I think, every time. And then I watch it again, which I've seen it quite a lot because it's, you know, if I'm in the mood for a Fantasia, I'll kind of tend to go to this one because it's half the length of the other one. Um, and it still has Sorcerer's Apprentice, so, you know, you win. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm, I can't wait to talk about this one. I think it's I think it's really exciting and people give it a bad rap or people just don't even know it exists. I think it's more common. Yeah, I think it's a, a little of both. And actually, this was my first ever watch of it. Yes. So I was really, really excited for it. But I had try to manage that excitement because I absolutely adore Fantasia and and we spoke about that obviously a lot when we did that episode and the kind of personal connection I have with that film as well so I had a feeling this was going to be right up my street but what I was going into it expecting was Fantasia but not as good and I mean I have given them the exact same rating on Letterboxd so I am really really high up on this film I am shocked that I had never seen it before. I am upset with myself that I have not been able to enjoy this film for many years and have only just watched it now. And um, I wanted to watch it straight away. As soon as it finished, I was like, I want to watch this again right now. Well, you now. know what this means, though? You now have a lifetime. We're mm-hmm. still young. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'd like to think otherwise. We'd like to think we're really old, but we're not. And we've, yeah. got, we've got a lot of time left and we got many more decades of enjoying Fantasia 2000. So... It's mm. always it's one of the great things about film is that there's so many that no one can ever possibly see them all. And there's always going to be, you know, quote unquote, blind spots in your in your viewing because it's just it just is not possible to either access them all or to see them all. So eventually you're going to come across stuff that you, that will make you think, I wish I saw this ages ago. But now you have a whole lifetime to watch it over and over. Mm. This is very true. Yeah. And this is the, the period of Disney. I think this and the wartime era was when I had the most blind spots. So there's a a good few coming up that I have not seen or have very very little memory of if I have seen them so I'm I'm kind of excited I know this is not a it's not considered obviously as strong as the renaissance but I know a lot of people actually are, are pretty fond of some of the films in 
this period and i just wanted to to check quickly like what the sort of official term for this era is because i've seen it referred to as both the post renaissance and the uh the new millennium is there a, a kind of like a consensus on what this era is called officially um, or not necessarily i mean some people some people call it like the <laughs> some some people refer to it as like the dark ages oh, some no. people refer to it as um you know what you were saying but basically it's it's essentially the post-renaissance is Mm. is where we are and people consider the post-renaissance uh to probably be alongside the wartime era as the weakest um era of disney i actually kind of think that the i think it's better than a lot of the bronze age stuff Mm. um and i think the the post-renaissance has well let me just let me just summarize what's in post-renaissance not necessarily in chronological order but we have uh fantasia 2000 emperor's new groove home on the range bolt brother bear chicken little dinosaur lilo and stitch atlantis uh meet the robinsons and treasure planet and then the sort of like revival new golden age second golden age whatever starts with with tangled in 2010 um so we're in a new decade if you google fantasia 2000 it says it came out in 1999 but technically they had like a a few premiere like events in 99 and then it was officially released january 1st 2000 um so the post renaissance starts in 2000 with fantasia 2000 uh and goes through the 2000s and it's generally considered uh the worst (laughs) (laughs) it's off to a strong start so i mean i am expecting it to go downhill from this point but I'm very excited to talk about this film, so I think we should we should get right on into it. Um, the uh, plot synopsis is not particularly imaginatively written, uh, but it is um, an update of the original film with new interpretations of great works of classical music. Um, yes, it is. Although I think calling it an update of the original film makes it just sound like they've taken all the stuff from the original and like made it look different. Or yeah, yeah. Anyway, it is a sort of sequel spiritual sequel to fantasia i think we got into that before when we sort of talked about the rescuers down under and whether that was the or when we were sort of talking about sequels and what disney sequels there were and um yeah but it's it is not a sequel in the sense that this a film like this can't really have a sequel because it doesn't have like a story narrative all the way through so yeah it gets a bit complicated when you get into the ins and outs of it. But um, yeah, do you want to, as always, uh, clue us in, fill us, fill us in with all the information and facts that we need to know about uh, Fantasia 2000? Sure. Um, well, just to, just to preface, um, what we usually do with the, what, we, what we've always done with the package films and what we'll do with this one is go segment by segment. So um, I'll give you specific details on, on who worked on what as we go through um, each segment. Um, but the let's go let's go way 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 back to the original Fantasia, uh, released fifty nine or sixty depending on who you ask. Years before Fantasia two thousand, uh, in nineteen forty, was the you know, Walt Disney's original vision was to have this sort of like ever changing idea, and Fantasia would be released every so often, every every few number, every few years or so, uh, with new segments mixed in with with old classics. Uh, so audiences would never really see the same film twice. And this idea that it would constantly evolve and perhaps like still be released to this day, I think, is something he wanted it to go on basically forever. Because there's no limit to the amount of classical music that's available. It's still composed. Classical doesn't mean it has to be like 300 years old. Um, you know, there's there's tons of it, and and you can make stories of anything. So there's really no limit to the amount of of things you can do with it. However, 
uh, Fantasia, as we talked about with Pinocchio as well, way back then, because of the, the war, it didn't really get the exposure around the world it needed, and it couldn't really access European and, and foreign markets. Uh, so it was it was not very successful at the box office, especially considering how much money it cost them. And it wasn't very cr well received critically either. It was pretty mixed. Um, so the idea to have more Fantasias throughout time uh, was shelved in 1942. Uh, but nearly 40 years later, in 1980, uh, Wooly Reitherman, one of the nine old men, and development artist Mal Shaw began work on Musicana. Um, now, there is... I would go into more detail about it, but there's a really great special feature right on Disney Plus under Fantasia 2000, or it's on the Blu-ray as well, uh, that gives you lots of amazing concept art, and they kind of go through some of the ideas of what some of the sequences would have been. And honestly, I really wish this film would exist because it sounds excellent. <laughs> um, but this gives me a great opportunity to talk a bit about Mal Shaw, who um, has been around, who had been around anyway, in Disney forever. Um, he was recruited by Walt Disney to work on the 1942 film Bambi. Um, and he began his career as a silent film title card creator uh, in the in the 20s. And he um, left Disney to enlist in the army. And he returned later in 1974. Um, and he worked on a lot of things like um, the Rescuers, basically all the way through to the Lion King. So he's a very significant person. And you know, if you talk about development at Disney, a lot of people would say that he was, you know, the entire. Uh, development department uh, department and really responsible for initiating a lot of the ideas of, of what we saw in in Disney so a very significant person and I'm glad I have the opportunity to talk about him a bit um, but like the idea of more Fantasias the Musicana was cancelled in favor of Mickey's Christmas Carol which was a short that came out in 1983 um, however we're not done yet because third time's the charm, and the idea was revived. Well, technically it'll be fourth time's the charm. We'll get there. Uh, the third time was <laughs> the idea was revived again in 1984, uh, when Roy E. Disney, the nephew of Walt Disney, uh, and the vice chairman, had the idea to reignite his uncle's vision of a new Fantasia film. And obviously they weren't planning on releasing a dozen more or so, but they wanted to do you know one to kind of honor uh, Walt Disney's original vision and and his legacy. Um. But that was shelved for seven more years, as they didn't really have the resources to do it. Um, going back, thinking of the mid-80s, this is just before Black Cauldron almost destroyed the whole studio. Um, and they really weren't doing all that great, and animation wasn't a big focus for them, as we talked about a lot when we were talking about the 80s. Um, so they, they weren't ready, and also there weren't a lot of executives who were really on board uh, making Fantasia a sequel. Um, however... We've also talked about how Disney loves to re-release and re-release and re-release and re-release just a little bit more. <laughs> um, so when they released Fantasia in cinemas in 1990 as a 50th anniversary uh, re-release, uh, it earned $25 million at the U.S. box offices, which is a lot of money for a re-release. Uh, and the home video release was doing even better and had 9.25 million pre-orders, which is kind of crazy to think about. Uh, because if you fast forward to now, when you know DVDs and Blu-rays are... are um, I don't want to believe they're on the way out because I still think they have um, a significant audience, especially with like boutique labels and stuff. But generally speaking, um, people don't buy DVDs and Blu-rays like they would with with VHS and early DVDs when the, before streaming. Basically, the streaming has kind of changed everything. So to imagine, the, no, nothing sells 9.25 million copies anymore on on physical media, especially um, thinking like. It's just it's not even a conceivable number. Like a million is a humongous achievement nowadays, let alone 9.25 million. And that's just pre-orders. 
it's just a, it's a, it's an inc- it seems like uh, mm. an unfathomably insane number, but you know it just goes to speak of how viewing habits have kind of changed over the last thirty years. But anyway, as a result of that success, uh, Eisner greenlit the film in 1991, and Roy Disney would serve as executive producer. And at the time, they had a lot of kind of discussions of of what kind of stories would go in the film. And really, for for a large period of time, it was going to be essentially half new and half old it was going to be maybe three maybe four uh new pieces but it would largely be um revisiting fantasia they were going to have the sorcerer's apprentice nutcracker suite dance of the hours night and bald mountain basically most of fantasia and some new ones as well it's kind of to go more with the idea of fantasia being slowly evolving over time um but they realized later that it would just that they had the opportunity to do more and 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 they were lucky to kind of take it to the next level. They had considered other music like Claire de Lune, which they were going to use in the original Fantasia and some of the other music that they were going to use in the original Fantasia. But they decided to kind of take a, a new approach. And again, once we go through, we'll, we'll tell you obviously all the, the music and, and whatnot that are, that are in Fantasia 2000. Um, but they eventually settled on one um, old piece, which is, of course, Mickey's Sorcerer's Apprentice um, as an homage to Fantasia. So that is still smack dab in the middle of Fantasia 2000, but all the other segments are brand spanking new. Um, However, this film did not do well, um, which is perhaps why it's considered not as part of the Renaissance, because every uh, Renaissance film was at least a little bit financially successful. This one, not at all. Um, On an 80 to $85 million budget, the film only earned $90 million worldwide, um, which is not great at all, especially when you consider the fact that they had quite a fancy um, premiere schedule. It, it premiered at Carnegie Hall in New York City on December 16, 1999, uh, for three nights. And they would, you know, have the animation above the screen and they would have the actual orchestra, the um, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, conducted by James Levine, who, who are in the film, uh, conduct below. And it, each of the performances cost about a million dollars, and they also took this internationally, including uh, Royal Albert Hall in in London, which I wish I was in London then, and I probably would have been a bit too young to be excited, but I would have been very cool to see. Uh, the Champ the Champs Elysees in Paris, uh, in Tokyo, California. You know, it went all over the world, and each of the performances cost them about a million dollars each. So to think that they probably spent about ten million dollars on that, and the film didn't even make anything, just goes to show you how how <laughs> unfortunately how badly uh, this this film is done. Um, and, uh, this is our beginning of the post-Renaissance, although I think you could certainly make the argument if you ignore box office success, which isn't really a staple of the Renaissance. I mean, it is, but it's not, like, a filmmaking technique used in the Renaissance. Um, I think this is the end of the Renaissance here, but technically, the general consensus is that this is the beginning of the post-Renaissance with Fantasia 2000. Yeah, I think that like the the narrative is quite nice as well as this being the you know it's called Fantasia two thousand and obviously like the start of a new millennium and actually this era for Disney is sometimes referred to as the new millennium. So in that they also they also struggle with the name. I should say they they originally called it Fantasia Continued, mm. <laughs> uh, and then it was going to be Fantasia nineteen ninety nine because that was the year it was going to be released. But then it became Fantasia two thousand when it was released on on the first of January two thousand. Yeah, I'm glad they made that decision. Uh, Fantasia it sounds con- a lot better than Fantasia Continued, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, Fantasia Continued is as original as that plot synopsis was that I read out at the top. So <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't call it just like a little more Fantasia this time. 
Yeah. <laughs> Fantasia 2. Even more Fantasia-y or something. Um, <laughs> Fantage-tastic. Fantage-tastic. Um, and, and boy, is it that. Um, yeah, so I, I really like the... At the start of this, before we sort of get into the segments and, and we'll go through that um, segment by segment, which, as you mentioned, is what we sort of did with the package films um it's just the easiest way to talk about a film like this because it doesn't have that narrative and um Mm. then we sort of get to like break down each segment and and whatnot but right before that there's a really sort of nice tribute to the original fantasia so they sort of um incorporate that original dialogue with the uh conductor i think it's the conductor the instructions of sort of like what fantasia is and it's the original audio from the first Fantasia. Yeah. And I thought that was that was nice. And obviously we get the, you know, complete Sorcerer's Apprentice lifted from Fantasia and dropped into this. So it's certainly never shying away from, you know, this is a, a continuation of that story. It is Fantasia continued, even if that is a, a, a terrible name. But um, I like that sort of nice tribute to the original sort of right at the top i thought that was that was really nice but um mm-hmm. yeah and then we we open with a very similar segment to the first segment that we get in fantasia so yeah. in this it is uh beethoven symphony number no. five i believe beethoven's fifth the dun 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 the the most famous <laughs> one yeah this actually i think across the board this film has more recognizable pieces of music i don't know well, I, would I, think... say, I would say probably that's probably true of of now yeah like yeah most of them are, are a bit more contemporary yeah um, i think a, some of the others yeah i think a, a casual classical listener would recognize sort of more of the the pieces of music in this than perhaps the original but yeah that is a sort of because it's it came out that much later as well and like you said they are more contemporary but um yeah this uh, this first sequence is sort of taking that idea of uh using images and interpreting the music through those images so we get that when you get those sort of famous opening notes of of the piece of music which barry just delightfully demonstrated there um the sort of the cloud uh clouds are bursting uh the sort of sunlight bursting through the clouds and sort of in time to the music and then we get this quite abstract piece um with these sort of triangle shaped birds butterflies bats type of things but i thought as as kicking off fantasia and as a sort of nice tribute and nod to the original and again like we said with with fantasia setting that tone of you know this is visual interpretations of music i thought this was very effective and i i always lean more towards the ones that have a bit more of a narrative and we'll get to our sort of favorites as we as we go along but I thought as an opener, this was very strong, and I think the a lot of the visuals were very, very striking in this piece as well. Yeah, I mean, it it it, it does what it needs to do, really. It's it was uh, directed by Piote Hunt, or also known as Maurice Hunt, which is a lot easier to say. So I'm just going to refer to him as Maurice because <laughs> I don't want to pronounce his name wrong. Um, he has worked on films like Black Cauldron, Rescuers Down Under, 
he directed The Page Master as well, which is obviously not um, Disney, but it is a lovely film. Um, and yeah, he, he directed this this segment. And it, and it definitely works. Obviously, it's not the entire uh, Fifth Symphony. It's Fifth Symphony has plenty of movements. This is just mm. one of them. Um, but it is it is a good sequence. It, it does, again, kind of that same thing like you're saying with the way they establish Fantasia as the really like almost avant-garde um abstract visuals this is a little more straightforward than than that and and pushing the boundaries probably less than they did way back then um but it's a very beautiful sequence the color is really great you know there's all sorts of bright exciting colors um and it's it's a good it's i mean it's brief it's only like three minutes it's a it's a good start it's a it's a it's rousing enough to get you excited for what's to come Mm. yeah and i think being such a recognizable piece of music as well it's it sort of immediately hooks you in and then you're i was sort of like okay great this i'm enjoying this i know it's gonna get even better from this point i'm sort of like pumped and ready for the rest of the film so i think it works effectively as sort of setting up exactly what fantasia is if you know there would there would be people watching this who had not seen fantasia but you know and this was their sort of first uh first entrance into that it's many many years later me because i saw this in cinemas mm. when it came out mm. um and I, I i honestly i could not tell you whether i saw fantasia before i was eight i probably did i i wouldn't remember it yeah um, but this this very well may have been my i, I can't remember if we, they, they released it in imax i can't remember if we saw it in imax or not but it was amazing i loved it mm. um mm. and i have not stopped loving this for you know i guess i saw, I saw it in 2000 2000 that's you know that's 21 years of, of enjoying this movie um but yeah, this this segment was introduced by uh, Deemed Taylor through the archive footage, who wasn't the composer, but one of the basically in in the original Fantasia when they were introducing segments, they would use like mm-hmm. noted music critics and music scholars or whatever or musicians. Uh, this time, uh, with the exception of this one and a, one other one, I believe, um, or two other ones, I think um, Isaac Perlman introduces the um, next one with Steve Martin, and then Quincy Jones would, uh, introduces one. But basically, they're they take a very different approach this time, um, and they use uh, comedians or or just well known actors to introduce segments. Um, how do you feel about the live action sequences? They're they're directed by by Don Hahn, who we know quite well produced a lot of key Disney films. Um, and it actually there's a there's a screenplay apparently uh, written by Don Hahn, Irene Mechi, and, and David Reynolds for the the scripted bits of of the actors coming in to introduce. How do you how do you feel about those? I think they are okay, and I would be just as happy with this film without them. I think some are better than others. Um, the Steve Martin one for me, <laughs> the note that I made was that it it really took the wind out of the sails a little bit. I think that the his obviously he's a, a comedian and a very well known comedian, so the tone of his little skit was very comedic but i didn't find it particularly funny and i think with with how impactful the first segment is um and how gorgeous the second segment is i just wasn't it it just sat in a weird place for me i i don't know if the tone was necessarily right i mean i some of the latter ones i enjoyed seeing those people's faces on the screen i'm thinking bet midler angela lansbury i always enjoy seeing them gracing our screens but i i they're just they're they're inoffensive to me like they're there and they're fine but i think the film would be fine without them yeah so, yeah 
I think I think I think they're the most jarring and and bizarre part of yeah. Fantasia 2000 because it almost feels like sketch comedy gone wrong and mm. like Angela Lansbury you can't really tell if she's like there to like present like an illustrious award or like she's introducing <laughs> a cartoon like and again it's lovely to see her even though she is the most evil villain in Disney history of Mrs. Potts. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, Bet Bet Midler is like there to like tell us about other ones that they didn't deem worthy enough <laughs> to be in the film, and then she introduces the worst segment. Um, yeah. But it's you know, it's it's. <laughs> I don't think they're good. I think it's. I think it definitely prevents this. There's always something in some of these that like just stop them from being a little bit better than they could be. Mm. Um, and it's it's just. I'm not sure if, because I think you could argue that the Fantasia ones are are too not well maybe dull too like they're too serious and they take themselves too seriously Mm. these almost go like the complete opposite direction and and kind of like have nothing to do with some of the there's a couple i would say two of these segments are like very comedic Mm. um none of none of the other ones are (laughs) or you could argue maybe i think you could argue rhapsody in in blue is is comedic i'm thinking the the flamingos is is designed to be funny yeah and the the donald daisy pomp and circumstance one i think is designed to be funny as well Mm. um but yeah, generally speaking, these some of these are are quite heavy and emotional, um, and some of them are are more serious and and dastardly, and to just have these like weird comedic presentations. I don't know. It just I didn't get it. Mm. I I like seeing, but I agree. I like I, I won't uh, complain when I see Steve Martin, Bette Midler, and Angela Lansbury all in one film. I I enjoyed Penn and, I enjoy seeing Penn and Teller as well. Mm. Um, I just I don't. And Quincy Jones. I mean, I, there was no one I was upset about seeing. Mm. I just don't understand why yeah yeah i think the, the I, musicians I, make sense to me like it's like perlman makes sense like of course mm-hmm. um you know, especially because he's you know he's playing violin in um the the fifth uh beethoven's fifth one mm-hmm. um so you know it makes sense to have him introduce one um quincy jones makes perfect sense for for um for rhapsody in blue um i just it's they just feel weird they feel like disjointed i almost maybe would have preferred going back to like a, the wartime era where they just like threw on the next one mm. and they just went from segment to segment and, and, and called it a day then again then it would probably be like very very short because this film is like 75 minutes if you ignore the credits it's like under 70 um mm. it would probably be like it would probably be like dumbo length actually it might even be shorter than dumbo if they cut out the end if they cut out the live action stuff but that could have left room for another delightful animated sequence which i think i would have preferred yeah, I think it, I think it would have been around the hour mark if they if they took those bits out. But I did. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned the the Bette Midler one that she sort of like props up and says like all the ones that like didn't make it. And it's funny because we've spoken about quite a few of those ones mentioned because they they cropped up in a lot of the package films. Um, we I think we every time there was one that was sort of like on the cutting room floor for Fantasia we did mention it at the time so I was thinking there were quite a few that got chucked into the uh, wartime era yeah the B one I can't remember I think that was in Melody time I know we really enjoyed that one the Dance of the Bumblebees one Um, yeah and there were some of of those more like artistic there was one of like a bunch of trees that was also meant for Fantasia Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. um, and a few others for sure the the Blue Bayou one I can't remember what film that was in but um, that was one that was intended to be in Fantasia as well so I thought that was <laughs> that was quite funny, and like you said, she does then introduce the worst segment. But um, we will we'll we'll get on to that. We'll we'll 
plow on with the with the other segments but i think now we've, we yeah we've sort of covered the the people introducing them we might sort of bring them up again as we as we go through but we'll just sort of focus on the actual segments now i i guess and um yeah the second one is um i will probably not say this correctly but otterino respighi's pines of rome that's, that's yeah that's yeah. I would have said the same thing, so that's close enough. Yeah. Um, introduced <laughs> by, we just talked about him, Steve Martin, and also Isaac Perlman, violinist, uh, directed by Hendel Butoy, um, and art direction from William Perkins and Dean Gordon, and the story by James Fuji. Mm, yeah, sorry, I was... <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, I should probably keep going, because she's probably doing... But I, I just pause, pause for dramatic effect, if you will, so you're welcome, <laughs> listeners. Everyone likes some drama. Um, so Pines of Rome is nothing about Rome. Um, <laughs> it is indeed a story of Wales. Um, I, I'm not crazy about this one. Mm. I, I really think Fantasia, um, basically from the next sequence on, this film is so excellent. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like this, this one actually might be my personal least favorite. Um, it's not bad. I don't think it's bad. I think it's I think it's a bit too long for essentially a story about whales jumping up and down. Mm. Um there's not a whole lot to it plot-wise. Um which isn't abnormal for fantasy. You know, we've seen some really abstract stuff, but this one is definitely more narratively focused. Mm. Um and I I don't know. It's it's pretty to look at. It's also we should mention um there's a lot of hybrid CGI and, and hand-drawn work here. And a lot of the time, these whales look terrific. And a lot of these times, the whales look a bit funny because they still had to, like, hand-draw the, the faces of the whales. Um, mm. So it's it's just a bit off. The the environments, though, I will say, look sensational. Yeah. Um, and, the you know, the, the ice kind of world, the water, all of it looks terrific. Um, and it's really beautifully designed. This whole, f- this is one of, I'll, I'll say it there, this is one of the best looking Disney movies. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, I'm right and there the, with you. <laughs> there's definitely a sequence later that I think might be the single most beautiful thing they've ever done, but we'll mm-hmm. we'll get to that. That's all the way at the end. Um, <laughs> I just, I think there's a lot of really beautiful work here, um, mm. but this one to me lags quite a lot. Essentially, it's like a baby whale looking for its, its parents. And to me, it takes a good, it's like 10 minutes long. It probably should be like five. Yeah, I, obviously this being the first time I watched it, I was just kind of swept up in it all and enjoying, uh, apart from one, enjoying every segment as it came along. Because I didn't, I didn't know what the next one was going to bring. So I was obviously experiencing it as, you know, as fresh and new. So at the time when I was watching it, I was like, oh, I'm really enjoying this. This is really, this is really sweet. This is really lovely to look at. Um, but then I think as it, it kind of, you're right, uh, there is one that I don't, that I like less than this. But from this point on, it's really flawless. And I love all of the segments, uh, you know, going beyond this. So I think when I look back on it, this would probably be my, not my least favorite, but maybe my second to least favorite. Um, mm. it's, it's pretty, but the, the main note that I made was, um, I would love this so much more if it was hand-drawn. Um, and... Yeah, it kind of reminded me of the singing whale from, I think it was Make My Music. Yes. And uh, I actually think I yeah. preferred that sequence. <laughs> yeah, I, it's... That kind of just drives into the craziness more. Mm. Um, but this, this one is a very serious tale, but it's just like, it's, 
there's only so many times you can look at some whales jumping. Yeah. I don't know. It's just it it's very nice to look at. Mm-hmm. Um I I feel like when it's it would sweep you away on like an IMAX screen, but I also feel like it would look worse. Uh because I think like the CGI would feel more I mean obviously this is now probably when you saw it when I saw it as a kid I probably would have been blown away and I'm sure I was cuz I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um but you know now if you saw this on like a really big screen I don't think it would look very good. We've talked a lot about how CGI can age poorly and to be honest I think it's mostly implemented phenomenally um throughout this whole movie. Yeah. Um, and it's really used brilliantly very often. Mm-hmm. Um but I'm not sure if this is the best example of it. So I'm glad they placed this one at the beginning to kind of get it out of the way <laughs> yeah it's funny like you're talking about the the cgi on the whales i had another bad cgi whale experience this week uh which is not a sentence i thought i would say but i <laughs> re-watched one of my childhood favorite films which is free willy and it still slaps but i did not realize how much terrible whale cgi there is in that film i haven't like, seen that in a millennium so i i do not remember at all but maybe please, I'll watch it again and be trauma. Please, please watch it because I mean I still cried because that's just the kind of person that of I am. But when the you know the like the famous bit is ruined on the poster. I'm not about to spoil Free Willy for you. But when he like <laughs> jumps over the rocks and like goes into the ocean at the end, when I yeah. was little, I was like, "That's a real dang whale." I was gonna say I'm pretty sure I've been convinced my whole life up until this exact moment that that's a real whale. So thank you for destroying my life. Let me tell you. It looks not very good. So, so when I saw that, I was like, oh, 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 oh no. And there's another bit as well where, like, I think he is, like, looking out to see, the kid is looking out to see and sees all, like, uh, Willie's family and stuff out there. And they don't even look like they are in the same film, let alone in the ocean that they're meant to be in. Like, it's so, so terribly rendered. But yeah. <laughs> before this becomes the, the free willy podcast um i yeah the whales in in this segment at times they looked really good and i think when it right, fo- yeah. when it focused on them in close-ups and i think the baby whale looked like particularly good and you could sort of see the bits that were that were hand-drawn and sort of what went into making the you know the character design and everything of of the baby whale but some of the bits with like the whales in flight or when the whales would then kind of dive into the water and there's just that weird sort of slight split second before like with the whale making impact with the water and the splashes that just looks unnatural and it took me out of it a little bit and i just i yeah, I'll, I'll, there's a, a point I want to make later about how watching the films in this way has affected my viewing of some of these later films, but I, I think I'll slot it into the Sorcerer's Apprentice chat. But I just wish this this segment had been hand-drawn. I kept thinking about how it would look placed in the original Fantasia and it all being hand-drawn and it blowing my mind. And it would have I, been pretty magnificent. Yeah, was wishing I got that, but... I d- it's still it's pretty enough to look at i just think that some of the cgi is a little on the ropey side and not as bad as yeah. free willy but it's yeah. i think i have more of an issue <laughs> with just the general lack of story that's going sure. on mm. um, yeah. and it would help i think too if there's going to be a lack of story if the whales looked sharper um, right but they don't quite i feel like but again i feel like at the time they probably would have looked amazing anyway mm. let's let's get to what the people are waiting for, I can only assume. Um, the, <laughs> the Fantasia 2000 stands out there are waiting, because this this might be uh, the best sequence in... <sighs> I 
don't know. I don't want to use too much hyperbole, but this is really like this might be a perfect animated sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, it is Rhapsody in Blue by George Gershwin, uh, the the music that is uh, directed by Eric Goldberg, who gave us Genie. Speaking of Genie, um, this is very influenced, uh, and he was a design consultant in this again by Al Hirschfeld or Al Hirschfeld. Sorry, um, I talked about when we talked about Aladdin how Goldberg was really influenced by him and his caricatures. And they, they had met for the first time then to, to kind of get influence, uh, influence for the genie and, and inspire mm-hmm. making the genie. Uh, and they worked together on this one, which is very exciting. He also worked with his wife, uh, Susan McKinsey Goldberg, who is the art director uh, for Rhapsody in Blue. Uh, it's, it's sensational. It is an extraordinary sequence. It, it has an extremely distinct uh, visual palette, especially compared to the rest of this movie and really all of Disney. Nothing else looks like this, which is uh, which I always am very excited to see something that looks so different. I don't think... I think this is the only sequence you would watch and have no idea if you watch this completely out of context, if this had anything to do with Disney at all. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, it's... it's, it's I, I don't even know what to say about it. It's the longest one, but it feels like it's the shortest one. Um, everything about it is just... It's just it's just incredible. I love every second of it. It looks amazing. It's very funny. It's extremely entertaining. Um, the the story you're seeing and the visuals match the music. It's perfect. It is. It's perfect. <laughs> I really don't. There's not even that much I have to say about it mm. because I, I don't. I I can't nitpick it because it's just an amazing sequence. Um, and if you for whatever reason have no interest in these kinds of films the fantasias that's okay uh you're wrong but that's fine everyone's wrong about something <laughs> watch I, I i beg i implore of you to i'm sure it's on youtube or something mm-hmm. or you can watch or you can just skip ahead on disney plus it's probably like 20 or so minutes in yeah. um but it it's so worth watching it is such an inc- for any fan of animation of any kind uh you Rhapsody in Blue is beyond essential viewing. You absolutely must watch it. Mm, it's so great. And I loved it right from the start as well. It does this sort of like etch-a-sketch style thing where it's tracing yeah, exactly. out the city outline, which is very cool. And it it felt like something completely different for Disney. But also, if this segment was in one of the like wartime package films, I would not blink an eye because it feel it feels like it could sort of fit in with some of those narrative it, segments um, you know which in... one it reminded me of it reminded me of you might you might have just been about to say this when like the kids go to like that like um like the soda store <laughs> yes that's exactly the, yeah. exactly the one i was thinking of and it it has that it's really difficult to place this segment in like a time period and which is I think one of the reasons why i loved it so much because it feels oh, yeah, completely timeless. timeless and it's got this sort of great uh jazzy soundtrack right at the beginning of it i was like did this influence soul uh (laughs) because there's a bit with like um a cat and obviously i think fairly clear that the the construction worker character um is black as well um that sort of yeah and they actually have names uh so i can because it doesn't make this clear in the film, but I looked it up. Not I... at all. But according to um, Disney website, they are named somehow. Yes. But the... we found this a lot with a lot of characters, like Miss Bunny. Glorious yeah. Miss Bunny. I don't Miss believe Bunny. she's named in the film. Yeah. So the construction worker is called Duke. Uh, the guy who needs a job is appropriately named Jobless Joe. Uh, the little girl is called Rachel. And the uh, he's described as the portly fellow, but he's got sort of like ginger hair and glasses. And he's a he's a cute little fella um is called john and um it's i wasn't i was really 
on board with this short right from the start and I liked the, the way it sort of introduced the various different characters and then how their storylines kind of all tied together at the end but in a really funny and surprising way and I I cannot stand films that do that like uh, Love Actually and I'm gonna get all the people in my DMs now like how could you hate that film but where it's they horrible. yeah where they just are like they all happen to be at the airport at the end for like reasons <laughs> and it's like okay that's, that's, a, that's a grotesque movie just I'll, I'll make my stance on it clear as well yeah it's an abomination but the... <laughs> <laughs> but this this does obviously in much less time and in a much less offensive way this short does that sort of thing where it it ties these character stories together it is a sort but... of ensemble piece yeah yeah but they they never they never sort of meet and it doesn't end up in this big sort of like cheesy thing it's just like the the duke the construction worker is sort of sick and tired of the day job he wants to like play music and is is rushing off to get to a gig i think that's where i made the soul connection actually um mm. and in his sort of like haste as he's like running off the construction site he like drops his tools and they fall into the hands of jobless <laughs> jobless joe who now has a job he's and he is absolutely delighted you've never seen someone so happy to pick up a sort of tools and a, a hard hat and get to work absolutely. um and the uh i'm trying to think how the how the others tie up but the rachel has like this this ball or something that ricochets all around and uh all the way from like their like 20th story apartment to the to the um the busy street and she goes yeah. to like, pick it up and that's how they all kind of come together to save her yeah um, speaking of rachel <laughs> we um obviously every week we um we tell you who who we stand and uh it is because with with films like this it's, it's a bit more difficult because there aren't really characters mm. so to say um, and obviously she's not named, so I was just going to say the little girl who can't do anything well. Uh, <laughs> very hard relate. Um, but her name is apparently Rachel, somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, the internet has told us. Yeah. Uh, multiple sources, so we're not just finding like some <laughs> random person online. They're like, it's definitely Rachel! Um, <laughs> no, apparently it's for sure Rachel. Um, she is the lovely little girl in the Rhapsody in Blue segment. Uh, she's got great moments. Basically, she does a bunch of activities and does them all very badly. Um, she's very sweet. She almost gets everyone killed, including herself, uh, to get her <laughs> little bouncy ball. Mm-hmm. Um, she's iconic. She's legendary. <laughs> she's very, very clumsy. She is great. Um, I love the the bit where she's in like a ballet class or something, and it's just like doing her own thing, and she's playing piano as well, and she's just like not doing things right at all. But she is so just full of joy and just this really sweet little character. And yeah an easy choice for in this house we stand i think although i do really love uh john um <laughs> so the character of john in this is his wife sort of seems like very much like in charge she's quite uptight oh he's lovely um and he has he... the bit with a monkey <laughs> yeah where he's having a little dance and he's just having a grand old time and his wife is not impressed at all but doesn't uh his wife get like carried away by the crane or something at the end from the construction yes. site and he I is also really like delighted. this this has such great characters i can't mm. i cannot believe that in the thing where no one speaks where you don't know anyone's name unless you look it up online 20 years later um they're so well defined for you know their their personalities are very clear mm-hmm. um their motivations are very clear it's just it's just amazing work um eric goldberg is someone i, I greatly admire and that we admire on this podcast mm. but i mean there's only so much you can say but kudos you genius if for some reason you ever listen to this 
uh, you're well loved by us here. Oh my gosh! Imagine if he <laughs> listened. I mean, to this. the man, the man gave us genie. Not only did he give us genie, but he gave us one of the all-time great animated sequences of all time in Rapid yeah. Blue. If I was gonna take the time to rank the sort of like the all of the segments in the sort of the package films and the collection of shorts and everything, I honestly think this would be a strong contender for my favorite. It's really fantastic the music is great as well we've not even really mentioned the music but it's got this great sort of jazzy soundtrack and i think there's a cameo from george gershwin as well isn't there in the actually within mm-hmm. the short like playing playing piano which is which is really fun and um it's there's so also, great you can see you can see the name nina at the bottom of one of i think it's like a toothpaste bottle or something mm. and that is um al Hirschfeld's daughter and i think he got her name into like every single thing he'd ever ever made um so that's a fun little nod to him but yeah it's a it's an incredible sequence again if if it's not a film that you're interested in but you just want to hear people talk about it hello welcome thank you um (laughs) but absolutely watch rap and blue because if you're a fan of animation i assume you are if you're listening to these uh if you're a fan of disney it's magic and absolutely seek it out Mm. next up is introduced by what is the next one? It is the one and only uh, Piano Concerto Number no. 2 in F Major, Allegro, Opposition 102, say that ten times fast, <laughs> uh, by Dmitry Shostakovich, uh, introduced by Bette Midler, who tells us about some s- segments that honestly sound a bit better than this one, uh, <laughs> directed by Hendel Butoy, uh, story developed by James Capobianco and Juan Ron Murin, uh, art direction from Michael Humphreys. And it's based on the story of Hans Christian Andersen, the steadfast tin soldier. Um, I'll start by saying the animation in this is really fantastic. And it's kind of this blend. Well, it's all CGI, actually. I believe mm. this, is, this is the first time that everything is CGI mm-hmm. in any Disney thing. Um, but it, it looks very hand-drawn, almost like a cel-shaded effect. It looks really beautiful, I think. And it's it's very striking to look at. Mm. Yeah. I like the way it looks. I think when you when you see something like this, you can then see where the sort of the Pixar films come from. Obviously, they were their own thing at this stage, but it wasn't long before sort of Disney and Pixar combined forces. And it has that sort of look of like the first Toy Story film, I think, although slightly better, I think. Maybe it's just a, a shorter I think span that, of I think time. the style has aged a bit better because it's mm. not... It's it's not designed to look computer generated, even right. though it is. While yeah. Toy Story is very much designed to be like, look at me, I am mm-hmm. a computer generated film. Mm. Um, and Toy Story still, I mean, it it is kind of kind of jarring if you look if you were to watch like four or three even, mm-hmm. uh, and then immediately turn on number one. I think you would be kind of blown away by how different uh, yeah. it looks. I wouldn't say Toy Story is an ugly movie at all. I think it's Mm-mm. quite magnificent looking, but it it definitely has aged. Yes, absolutely. I don't think you can deny that, but I don't think this segment has in terms of its its visual prowess. No, it's yeah. <laughs> this is my least favorite segment. Um, probably because the horrifying Jack in the Box thing that they decide to put in it, which <laughs> uh, unfortunately triggers my very specific phobias. Uh, whenever there is a nightmare puppet, ventriloquist doll, clown, something in a film, it's um, not for you. It's not for it's, it's not for me. It's a it's a it's a big no no. So, yeah. On on the one hand, like I did like the style and liked that it was something different, and I was quite captivated by it. But I thought the story I thought the story was a bit nothing, and also 
unnecessarily terrifying Jack in the Box as well. That's my my main takeaway from this <laughs> from this show. It's um it's it well the, basically the story is um there's this like ballerina toy um being watched over by this creepy Jack in the Box who's like convinced that he owns this this ballerina. Um, and then a, the steadfast tin soldier, as uh, we said from Hans Christian Andersen's story, basically appears and he's like, I will save you. Um, and then a whole bunch of chaotic stuff happens. It kind of, there's a, there's, it gives me Pinocchio flashbacks, which I always appreciate. Mm. You're like kind of in a creepy-ish uh, toy shop, toy factory, toy where, <laughs> toy warehouse, toy, <laughs> toy <Place>. shop. Yeah, <laughs> workshop. There you go. Um, there's also an extended underwater sequence, just mm-hmm. like in Pinocchio. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it feels reminiscent of that. Nowhere near as good, but honestly, there's only a handful of things in the entire world that are as good as Pinocchio, so that's fine. Um, <laughs> you can only ask for so much. Um, but what's, what's, what, the only thing that strikes me as, like, really, really funny and ridiculous and really quite dumb, uh, in this segment is when the steadfast tin soldier right towards the end this is quite a short one um fights has a sword fight with um the j- the jack in the box the, mm. the the ballerina girl is just like dancing in the background as if nothing is going on <laughs> like it's some really, assistance would really be great. funny to me she's like oh this is very stressful i guess i'll just dance just <laughs> like i really i really enjoyed that that made me laugh quite a lot um i don't really have any more to say about it yeah. i like it more than you do um, but I, I, I don't think it's especially memorable, except in its visual style, which is very impressive to me. Yeah, it's, it's I think, fairly easily my least favourite, although I don't dislike any of the segments in this. I think they're all pretty great. It's just, I just wasn't super sort of uh, captivated by the story, I guess, is my, I just thought it was a little a little weak in that respect, but did... Apart from the horrifying nightmare Jack in the Box, I did enjoy the way it looked. So, and it's yeah. always nice to see. I think I like the combination of styles in this. As as much as I'm about to get into my thing about how much I love hand drawn over CGI, um, I do like that this uses the technology well for the most part. I think actually this segment uses CGI better than the whales uh, segment does. It's just a bit more consistent, I guess. Um, oh, for sure. It, it, it. I actually don't necessarily think you can really. It's the really cool, like blend. Yeah. But it isn't, which is what makes it even more mm, impressive. It's just mm-hmm. CGI, but it feels like it's a blend of a really amazing blend of hand drawn. It's, it's definitely worth watching just to see how it looks if you are not terrified by puppets, because he is quite <laughs> creepy. He is very creepy. I texted you, I think, as I was watching it, and I was like, "Why is there a horrifying puppet?" I was having such a good time. I was having a lovely time, and then I was like, "Oh no!" Alrighty. So the <laughs> fifth segment of eight is Carnival of the Animals. Um, by I will try and pronounce this. I actually just watched a film the other day in which this composer is like a significant plot point. Huh. Um, so I'll try and say his name. I think it's Camille Sanson. That is correct. Um, <laughs> Um, and it's it's the Carnival of the Animals. This one is introduced uh, by Eric Goldberg, who you see drawing, and James Earl Jones, uh, which is like, it just <laughs> so wild. So, I think this is the most jarring one, but I I enjoy it. Um, always happy to see James Earl Jones, but he's like so like he just sounds so regal and mm-hmm. and serious, and and you just like you could listen to James Earl Jones say anything, and then you have this really deliberately comedic and ridiculous like two minute sequence about um uh flamingos playing with yo-yos 
I will say um, that this sequence was very heavily influenced. Well, essentially, com uh, the idea came from Joe Grant, who we talked about loads, came all the way from like the Dumbo days, basically created, co-created the story of Dumbo. And uh, 50, let me get the number right, Dumbo was 41, this is 2000. 59 years later is is working on this. He is the only um, artist, actually he worked on Fantasia as well, but he's the only artist who worked on both, only person I should say at all, although he is obviously an artist, but the only person at all who worked on both Fantasia and Fantasia 2000, which considering there are 50, 60, sorry, years between the two is really extraordinary. And you can never say enough about Joe Grant, um, an extraordinarily influential person throughout the 90s. We talked about how he was responsible for basically Miko and all the animals in Pocahontas, um, as well as a number of films through the Renaissance, including um, he's not done yet uh, with uh, Fantasia 2000. And I love this segment. Uh, seg I combine the word sequence and segment, but I love this bit. Um, <laughs> it's it's the shortest for sure. It's even shorter than Beethoven. Mm -hmm. uh, it's about two minutes. It is quite literally a flamingo playing with yo -yo, a yo-yo and the other flamingos are annoyed mm -hmm. um it is delightful there's something so conceptually brilliant <laughs> about, a, about flamingos playing with a yo-yo i don't yeah. know why it's here but i'm so glad it is because i love this segment i have almost nothing else to say except it's really fun mm -hmm. and i had a great time watching it yeah i i loved the entire way through this segment and i think that this was one because it's quite simple and it's beautifully simple this one absolutely felt like it could slot into the original fantasia no problems yeah. at all it it just had i think that... that was that was kind of the intent i think as kind of like a throwback yeah Joe Grant kind of wanted like a throwback to the like the ballet with the hippo and, and the alligator or crocodile yeah um and it feels like that and, and again this one's also done um directed written and animated by eric goldberg who is unstoppable in art direction by susan mckenzie goldberg an unstoppable duo if mm -hmm. there ever was one yeah <laughs> yeah it it looks it's it's it looks hand-drawn and i think that's one of the reasons why i love it and it's very short so it takes up no time whatsoever i could have happily watched another couple of minutes of these yeah flamingos well, it's, it's, just you don't need it though and it, it's perfectly those two minutes are all you need i would like more too mm. but pacing is perfect if i i feel their concern probably if it went on for like five or six minutes it would lag a bit like how much can you do with the flamingo playing with sure. the yo, yo yeah um it, it does that kind of perfect thing where it's just long enough to make you want more mm -hmm. um which I think is always, if you can walk out of something being like, oh, I wish there was more instead of, oh, there was way too much. I think that's always kind of what you're aiming for. Mm. Um, mm. And it's, it's lovely. Yeah. Because I think with... Two, thumb, two thumbs way up. <laughs> I think with the thing with some of the segments in Fantasia is that they are quite long. Like there's some pretty meaty segments in that and... Yeah, it... one is like 25 minutes long. I think the yeah. longest in this is 12, which is uh, Rhapsody in Blue, I think is the longest. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm glad that that is 12 minutes because I would watch an, an entire feature I could, of that. I could watch, yeah, I was just going to say I could watch a good 40 <laughs> minutes at least of that. Um, yeah. Any any other thoughts or shall we move on to, um, this one will probably be the briefest chat because it's we've already talked about it at length. Uh, <laughs> yeah. podcasts ago. Um, it is The Sorcerer's Apprentice, uh, the music by Paul Dukas. Um performed again this is so this is the only one not performed by the chicago symphony orchestra this is the orchestra of la musicians conducted by leopold stakowski all the way back in 1940 um introduced this time by penn and teller who were not around in 1940 <laughs> uh, they may have been born then i don't know when they were born but they were not a popular magician duo in 1940 <laughs> I can tell you that one. um so this is the exact same se uh, sequence so we won't really talk about the actual sequence what i think is interesting is 
Um, we've talked a lot about this idea of recycled animation, mm -hmm. um, which is not quite the same as this. This is like recycled animation taken to the next next eon, which is to say that they've just taken a whole segment and, and plopped it in. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when we talked about recycled animation, it's been like the same kind of motions, but it is a different character. Like, mm -hmm. for example, how um, the Little John in... Is it even Little John? Yeah, Little John yeah. in uh, Robin Hood is Baloo. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. A, he looks different, but the animation is almost identical for the whole thing, mm -hmm. um, and various segments from that, and and throughout the fifties and sixties, a lot of time it's it's just a really fun kind of almost like an Easter egg, mm. um, and a way of honoring other artists. Sometimes it can look a bit lazy, but most of the time it 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 isn't offensive in any way. It's it's almost quite exciting to see sometimes. Mm. Um, but I just thought it was kind of interesting to note the idea because we've talked about it a lot and how this time they've just recycled. This is like instead of a recycled. Sequ um, instead of recycled animation, it's just a recycled scene. They've just taken <laughs> a whole theme and dumped it in uh, Fantasia 2000, and I love that they did it. Yeah. I, uh, the, the, the Sorcerer's Apprentice might be the single... Of, if you were to put all the package sequence, you'd have a tough time not saying this is the very finest, you know? Mm. I mean, this is it, is... it is brilliant. It is... People like to overuse the word iconic. That includes you and me. We say it all the time. <laughs> Um, true. But this, this truly, there's only so many things in the world that are truly iconic, and this is Sorcerer's Apprentice is absolutely one of those things. Mm -hmm. uh, it has endured now 81 years almost, mm -hmm. and it's as memorable as it was then. It's extraordinary. There's, I don't have anything else to say because we've talked about it to death <laughs> uh, in the past, but yeah, it's brilliant, and I think it's really fun to see it here. How do you feel about it being in this movie? Um. It's great, yeah. It's not the sort of like recycled animation. It's very much like a copy and paste, isn't it? From <laughs> it's yeah. like we take They're like, yeah, here it is. Yeah, there it is. Um, I think I think it's. I was a bit sort of skeptical about because I knew this. You had told me that this entire sequence was in Fantasia two thousand, and I was kind of like, oh, okay. I mean, I'm 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 pretty jazzed to see it again. I enjoy this segment a lot. Um, but I, I, I worried that it was going to feel out of place, but where where they put it in the lineup is so perfect. I just, it it came along at exactly the right time when, particularly as I, I hadn't loved, oh no, wait, Carnival of the Animals was before this. But yeah, I was, I was on like a bit of a high from that. And that also felt like a nice throwback as well. It really reminded me of Dance of the Hours. So I was really pumped to see this segment again, but there was a the bit as well where he's kind of like up on the up on the rocks and he's sort of commanding the the stars and the waves and everything. I actually felt a bit emotional and I mean I'm going through some stuff at the moment. I currently have two broken bones. So <laughs> yeah, we didn't even tell these people this this poor <laughs> this poor lovely woman is like lying on her bed trying to yeah. speak while like half of her body is broken. So yeah. kudos to Ms. Bottery for for continuing her Disney legacy and, and shining it onto the world because she's currently broken. I'm just mentally broken. 99% <laughs> of the world right now. So, you know, it's fine. But yeah. You're actually physically, you're not just mentally broken. You're physically, physically broken, broken too. Yeah, nothing, nothing stops the pod. But yeah, perhaps lack of sleep and maybe just feeling generally a bit uh, broken. And lack of sleep 100% heightens emotions. So it does. It. Yeah, so I, I felt really emotional watching this segment. I was like, it just because it was such a long time ago that we watched Fantasia as well, and I've not gone back to it. There's a couple of ones that I've gone back to, but Fantasia isn't one of them because it's very much like a once once a year or once every couple of years watch for me because I, I like to come at it really, really fresh and, and enjoy it all over again. So just seeing this bit, I felt it was 
I don't know, just a lot of a lot of emotions were stirred up. And the thing that it made me think about, which is what I was hinting at earlier, is that I think one of the things that this podcast has done to me, it's turned me into a little bit of an animation snob. And <laughs> I, yeah, I appreciate that some things aren't possible with hand-drawn. Like, I fully accept that that is just reality of life and new technologies are needed and they can be utilised in really great ways. And I think we see that with some of the, the very modern Disney films. But for me, Fantasia, the original, it showed me that the impossible could be possible. And all mm-hmm. of that was hand-drawn. And seeing this segment again in this kind of context and, and surrounded by these other shorts and sort of seeing the advancements in how much things had moved on since then but then just having this great moment this magical moment of and seeing that gorgeous gorgeous animation again i was like oh it really is just better isn't it like (laughs) i hate myself for it but it's just i i just really appreciate i think the craft and what goes into it as well it's just extraordinary like you would not think looking at fantasia that that was all hand-drawn and the year that that came out is just insane and i think popping this segment into this sort of modern version of, of fantasia it just really gave me all those like warm fuzzy nostalgia feelings which i think i've previously only had for the renaissance films because that is like my era of disney but it really gave me that sort of like pang for the golden age i was like oh i just want to go back and watch fantasia i want to watch bambi i want to watch snow white i want to watch those kind of like first five all over again just because i enjoyed it so much and i hope that doesn't make me sound like a complete (laughs) animation no i don't think it makes you sound like a snob (laughs) at all i think it's just it's just yearning for the good it's just nostalgia really it's just yearning for the the, you know the quote-unquote good old days yeah um and as someone who basically my top five is basically those films shuffled (laughs) around um i I, i'm i'm here for it yeah um but yeah, I, th- I, I like that it's here because it, it's very, you know, it kind of honors that original idea of sort of like a great, almost like a greatest hits collection. And just including that as like a, a, a throwback to truly great times and mm-hmm. kind of as a way of honoring everyone who was involved in, in their legacy. Yeah. Uh, and it's also incredibly entertaining and beautiful to look at. So how, how can you go wrong? <laughs> Next up, um, way worse, although I still think it's fun. Um, but I mean, everything, most things are worse than The Sorcerer's Apprentice, so that's not really fair. Um, but is Pomp and Circumstance, Marches 1, 2, 3, and 4, uh, by Edward Elgar, which I believe they refer to as, like, graduation music, which, I mean, fair enough, but I thought that's kind of insulting. Um, yeah. But it's introduced um, by, well, actually, this has, I think, the most fun um, introduction, because it includes the original uh, Mickey with um, Stakowski, mm. and he's kind of he's kind of thanking him, and then he runs over newly, freshly animated um, to the new composer um, James Levine as they're looking for Donald Duck, who um, Donald and Daisy are the main characters in this. I believe this is Daisy Duck's only, unless she appears sometime in the wartime era. I feel like this is her only um, appearance in one of the fifty-eight Disney movies. Hmm. I think you're right. I don't think we've seen her before. I don't think she's in Three Caballeros or. No. Salvador Amigos. Nope. Um, so yeah, this is, I believe, hopefully I'm not wrong, uh, <laughs> this is Daisy's first and only question mark. I'm not entirely sure. Um, someone feel free to fact check me. <laughs> uh, her only, I'm going to say it's only, appearance in uh, a Disney film. Obviously she's in a lot of the TV stuff. But this is her only film appearance. Um, and this is basically the story of Noah's Ark. Um, 
the director of this is Francis Glebus, who to me is most famous for directing the extremely underappreciated Piglet's Big Movie. Um, but he has been involved in countless um, other Disney films as well. Um, art direction by Daniel Cooper. The Andreas Deja uh, was the character animated for Mickey, the Mickey that it runs through. And it looks amazing, if you ask me. Uh, and the lead character animator for Donald and Daisy is Tim Allen. Um, this sequence is very clearly designed for kids. <laughs> um, which is not a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I had a great time watching when I was younger. I still had fun watching it now. Um, basically, the whole ruse is that it, it's kind of tragic, really, but it's Noah's Ark, and Donald thinks Daisy's dead, and Daisy thinks Donald's dead, but they are both indeed on this boat, and they will find each other eventually. Um, I don't know if the boat is so big that they couldn't find each other over, like, 40 days. It seems a <laughs> bit unrealistic to me, but you know what? It's fun. The music is always great. Common Circumstances been probably one of the more used pieces of music in the whole world um so everyone knows it um it's fun and it's very indebted to the lion king the whole Mm. um especially the opening feels very circle of life they even have like two by two of the animals you can see them all kind of like looking up from the water um Mm -hmm. and then there's that moment where it's instead of pride rock it's noah's ark instead Mm. it just looks worse than the lion king (laughs) yeah they actually i i haven't got the whole budget king (laughs) the budget king um i haven't got the whole list in front of me because it was really really long but there is a list somewhere of so all the animals that they used in this or the vast majority of them they were either like direct lifts or basically a copy of those animals that had appeared in previous Disney films, so yeah, for sure. Yeah, like I, I, there was a whole bunch. It was like, oh, from Bambi, oh, from Lion King, yeah, ooh, from Fox and the Hound, <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah, like every every Disney film that has had an animal in it, you can bet that they are represented here somewhere. I think the only one that I really looked at and was like, that looks like the animals from this film was um the elephants from Jungle Book are in there, sort mm-hmm. of pretty clearly, and the gorillas from Tarzan as well. It's because we literally just watched that, so. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a fun. You could have fun. I think pausing the sort of the wide shots with all of the animals and trying to see how many you could, how many you could spot. But I enjoyed. I enjoyed this segment. It is. Yeah, I think most uh, Brits will sort of recognise part of this piece of music as uh, "Land of Hope and Glory." So it's <laughs> a very recognisable tune. Um, and I, I liked the animation in this. I, I, I get those Lion King comparisons you're making, and it, it doesn't look as good for sure but few things it's do so, it's not ugly yeah it's it's absolutely fine and i i think that like all of the segments in in fantasia 2000 it, it has its place i think it comes at about them i would potentially here's me messing with the order again i would potentially switch this and sorcerer's apprentice but then you would lose that sort of fun gag of of mickey kind of running over to go and look for donald which if we're counting oh in terms of yeah, in terms of when they come in yeah yeah, yeah. i thought you were saying you would get rid of so i was like well, oh you just no, no, said no, no 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 <laughs> switch them around is what i meant to say but yeah, yeah. that makes sense if we're count if we're counting that sort of like introduction bit with mickey as part of this segment then it's great <laughs> because that's yeah, maybe that, that my bit, favorite bit he looks so good oh and mate it's um, just so good again i was like close to tears at that point because i was like look at how beautiful he looks <laughs> i'm broken i really am <laughs> It's um, it's like the line from The Godfather. Look what they've done to my boy, but like in a really positive spin <laughs> and not tragic at all. It's like, yeah. look, they've made him so beautiful. Yeah. Um, and a shout out to Andres there, who we've mentioned many a time, uh, who is so amazing. 
um, just does such great work in in those few seconds with with Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Um, shall we get to the real the real stuff? Yeah. The real goodness. The <laughs> I'm Firebird, so the final segment, uh, the Firebird Suite 1919 version by Igor Stravinsky, uh, introduced by Angela Lansbury, who, as I said earlier, I honestly like. I'm not sure if she knows what she's introducing, but she's there, and I'm really happy to see her because she is an a, an international treasure. Mm-hmm. Um, this one's quite interesting because it was directed by um two the brother two brothers um Paul and Gaetan Brizzi um from the Paris studio. Um, so Paris making its mark in an extraordinary way because this sequence, oh my god! Uh, the <laughs> I should uh, a specific shout out I must say um, to the three supervising animators or the lead mm-hmm. character animators. Um, Anthony DeRosa on the spring sprite. Uh, he gave us Adult Nala. He gave us Zeus and Hera. He gave us Nakoma. Um, he's going to give us more um, characters in upcoming films. He's a supervising animator on uh, Gaetan Moliere in in Atlantis and and others. Um, we have Ron Husband who did the Elk and John Pomeroy who did the Firebird. Now this Sarah, I'm gonna go out and say it. I'm I'm ready to make a bold statement. I'm ready to I'm comfortable passing away on this hill. <laughs> I think specifically the sprite creature is one of if not the perhaps the best i don't know it's hard to say because she's it's not like a whole feature you're spending with this character although i would love to i would love Mm -hmm. this segment to be like developed into a full feature film because i think it'll be really fascinating and really beautiful and have a lot to say about the environment which which would not be um unnecessary these days i think it's quite a vital story to tell um i think it might be the most beautiful character Mm -hmm. in disney yeah. And I think this sequence might be the most beautiful thing Disney has animated. Yeah. I was floored by this sequence. And actually like we, we often sorry, I just want to we often say like I would frame this. Um I think this is the most beautiful thing, at least since Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. I want this playing in front of my eyeballs twenty four seven. Like Ugh. I, I, I really want to I'm going to I'm going to be looking into like framed prints from this segment because I would like them because mm. it is just it is this these are this is the always the image that um the image of like the sprite and the the firebird and the alco the images I always think of when someone says Fantasia 2000 or if I scroll past it online or whatever it's the, always what I think of um it's a really beautiful sequence um, the Firebird gives me very strong Chernabog vibes, mm-hmm. which I always appreciate. Although the Firebird takes a little more effort to defeat than like some daylight, so take that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Firebird is exquisite. The Elk looks incredible. I mm-hmm. I don't even know. I only have superlatives for this sequence. I think it's beautifully told, unbelievably beautifully animated. Such a bone chillingly incredible final shot. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's just. It, it's magic. I mean, you could honestly, the music is beautiful too, don't get me wrong. You could watch this on mute in complete mm-hmm. silence and be blown away. Yeah. This is the only, not counting Sorcerer's Apprentice, which obviously I watched when I watched Fantasia, but this is the only segment that I have subsequently watched multiple times since watching the film, what, two days ago? Um, <laughs> I just kept wanting to see this bit again just because. I wanted to look everywhere. I wanted to see every single inch of the screen because it's just so perfect and so beautiful. And it's, it's, it's intricate, but it's really quite simple as well. And it's just these sort of three 
characters and there's a lot of like beauty in the environment and stuff as well but it's a really great and emotional story but told very very simply and not needing words and not needing anything it just has this this beautiful music and these incredible visuals and it tells it in such a, a short amount of time as well and i was willing this segment not to end because i just wanted to continue looking at it forever and you cannot tell me that this uh the sprite didn't influence um tafiti in moana because they are very similar <laughs> i i would not be surprised at all mm -hmm. it it's really I'm not, I don't really have much more to say about it because there's only so many superlatives. I I can I can I implore you to watch this sequence. I mean, I implore you to watch the whole movie. I really think it's it's quite excellent. Uh, the thing with package films is there will always be inconsistencies in quality, and some aspects will be much better than others. It's just fundamentally how it works, especially since different people are working on them. Mm. Um, and you're gonna get different things each each every ten minutes or so. It's gonna be basically a completely different movie. Um, but I think generally they all work together very well. I think Fantasia 2000 has its issues. Um, obviously, some of the segments are not as impactful as I think the original, um, but I think some are perhaps more or or at least just as impactful, mm. particularly um, two absolute standouts of which I, I will refuse right now to pick a favorite. They are both my favorite, the <laughs> Firebird Suite and, and Rhapsody in Blue, because they're so... Which again speaks to the difference of package films is that those two sequences, I don't think you can really get much more for, far apart if you yeah. look at them back to back. They're nothing alike in sound, in visual, um, in storytelling. They're all com they're both completely different, polar opposites. Um, but they they work together in in this film because you know this is a collection of visual stories um, played to incredible classical music. Mm. Um, uh, I can't. I can't recommend it enough. I hope people are um, influenced by this to check it out. It's on Disney Plus. It's it's not like Mighty Fine Music. It's not hiding away from the world. It's easily <laughs> accessible. Um, I don't know if it was packaged here with Fantasia. I know I have. I know I I bought a version at at home way back. Uh, that was the two of them together. They were each on separate discs, but it was like a Fantasia collection of the two of them is how it was released. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I can't say enough good things about Fantasia 2000. I think it is the, of the 58, I think it's the most overlooked and underappreciated film. Yeah, I am absolutely with you there. I'm, I'm conscious that there's some that I still haven't seen yet, but I would be incredibly shocked if one of those other ones that I haven't seen uh, topped this. And as it stands, this this film is in my top 15. and. I've been thinking about it so much that it And this is film thirty eight, so that's, that's yeah, pretty high. It honestly might it might move higher. I I the sort of the benchmark that I was looking at when I was doing my list was Fantasia and I I don't think in all good conscience I could put this above Fantasia, but I think I'm 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 thinking the same as you earlier when you sort of said when you're in the mood for a Fantasia, this is the one you put on i can see myself revisiting this a lot i i'm still thinking about it i really want to watch the whole thing again um i i didn't have the most ideal viewing experience because uh having two broken bones i have to, <laughs> I have to spend most of the time downstairs so i'm sort of at the mercy of whatever my parents want to watch so i did unfortunately have to watch it on like a laptop size screen but that was still great 
I still loved it and I just I want to be able to watch it with the sort of like the you know the big screen and the proper sound and everything else and not on headphones and and really really enjoy it and appreciate it and I am going to force Martin to watch it because he does not care for the original Fantasia um but this is so much shorter that I think if I can convince him to watch any of the Fantasias it will be this one (laughs) it definitely it definitely is more accessible yeah only in the fact that it's half, it's almost half the length. Like, mm. Fantasia is still to date the longest Disney movie. Uh, this is not the shortest. It's uh, I think it clocks in at seventy four minutes, mm. um, but it's definitely definitely not long. It feels very quick, um, and you know you you know that there's eight sequences, and it's one of those films that basically tells you how far along you are because you can see when there's there's very clear cuts in between sequences. You know where you are all, all the yeah. time. It's easy to follow. It's delightful. Um, I'm not gonna say any more because I think I've said all I can say watch Fantasia 2000 I think it's it deserves more appreciation actually mm-hmm. my closing thought will be this if if their goal was to honor Walt's legacy I'm not sure they could have done a better job I, I really think everyone involved in this should be very proud of, of what they've done if everyone kind of came together as a way to like let's make new amazing things but also really take time to honor the legacy of those who came before us including Joe Grant who worked on both which mm-hmm. is just mind-boggling to me yeah. Um. What a career. Um. Yeah. I. I just think it's amazing. I. I love this movie. I'm so glad. Um. You also love it. I was worried that I'd have to like defend it the whole time. I'm <laughs> glad that's not the case. Um. You know. Strong reviews all around. And <laughs> let me tell you, that's not gonna last. Um. Because oh next week is next week is gonna be fascinating to talk about. Um. Yeah. It's probably a movie that most people don't even know is a Disney movie. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. Or a movie at all. yeah that the next week's film will be the first that veers away from the the uk list and we are going by the sort of the the official uh list of 58 which and the and the first full cgi lots of it's a big milestone uh Mm. is that that is of course uh dinosaur um we usually run through the themes but they're they're not really um here because it's a package film Mm. however i i will notice I will note, sorry, uh, for Man in Nature that James Earl Jones makes the <laughs> joke before the flamingos playing yo-yo um, is that he says that the, the, the next short, which is the flamingos, uh, will answer the age-old question, what is man's relationship with nature? <laughs> which I would like to think as their acknowledgement of the fact that Man in Nature is very central to all Disney films. Uh, yeah. So I appreciate that. Yeah, that was a ni- that was a nice wink. I I enjoyed that, and then obviously he like then like checks his notes and is like, oh, it's uh, <laughs> flamingos yeah. with yo-yos. Um, very quickly, I I'll, I'll give you a second to think about it whilst I run through oh, yeah. mine. But I am gonna make you rank uh the the segments. All of them. You can have a joint favorite if you really cannot pick. So I I'll go first. I'll go I'll go worst to best. I think and end on a high note. So uh, there are eight. Is that Right, one, three, four, yep. five, six, seven, eight. Yep. So eight, I would have the steadfast tin soldier, and seventh, I would have pines of Rome, which is the flying whales. Then I would have Beethoven's Symphony Number no. Five. Uh, then pomp and circumstance, carnival of the animals, sorcerer's apprentice, which is weird to rank because. We've ranked it before, but I I wouldn't even include. Well, I guess you can include it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Then second would be Rhapsody in Blue, and first would be the Firebird Suite. Ooh. Mm Mhm. Okay. Um. So last is our whales. Um. In Pines of Rome. Then I'd have uh Beethoven's Fifth. Then I'd have Pomp and Circumstance. Uh. 
then I would have our tin soldier. Then um, in, I don't even know what number, this is now four? Yeah. The Carnival <laughs> of the Animals. Uh, I don't really, I, I have such a difficult time comparing Sorcerer's Apprentice to any of these. Mm. Um, I really think they're all joint first, but I'll separate them for, for laughs. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't want to. Sorcerer's Apprentice. Um, just because I don't really count it as part of this movie, mm-hmm. um, even though it's it's objectively there, but it's clearly from another. So you know, you can. <laughs> that's the only thing I'll take away points from it for because I think structurally it's probably the best. Um, but then I would say uh, Firebird Sweet, and then I would have Rhapsody in Blue as as the one. Although mm. I think visual, I don't know, because I feel like visually, I mean, they're both so appealing, yeah. just so different. Yeah. But like, I I think plot wise, the the strongest is. The most fun to watch is Rhapsody in Blue. The most enthralling to watch is Firebird <laughs> Sweet. I don't know. The, the 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 top three are are phenomenal. One A, one B, one C. They're all they're all yeah. masterpieces. Yeah, agreed. I think we're 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 fairly in line. There are a bit of difference in our least favorite, but they're all great. I didn't. There wasn't one that I was like, I hate this. I never want to see it again with my eyes. I enjoyed all. Yeah, of I don't. Them, I don't so. think there's a there's a genuine dud in this, which yeah. is which is not easy to do. Yeah, definitely. Almost every, like, packaged film made, whether it's by Disney or not, there's always going to be, like, or, like, an anthology film, there's always going to be something that really sucks. But mm. I don't think this has that. Yeah, boy, have we seen some some worse segments in the package films than any of these, so I... Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm quite happy with the, the selection on offer here. But, um, yeah, so uh, I'm just uh, poising you, Barry, to read uh, part of the uh, Patreon's oh, yes. names again, just uh, so you are ready. Um, of course, we want to say a huge thank you to um, our Patreons uh, who support the show and those who get their special mention on the podcast are Chris Wilson, Let There Be Light Productions, Zoe Baines, Daryl Griffiths, Sam Luck, Orla Smith, Peter Hodgkins, Andy Meekin, Fabiana Rosas, Hamish Calvert, Martin Richmond, Manuel Bento and Per Morton. Um, so a huge thank you to those guys. Um, Jump Cut have just introduced another tier level um for patreons um you can give for as little as one pound a month now and you get added i think to our like patreon list of subscribers so you get like a little shout out and stuff um i can't remember all of the perks off the top of my head but um it's a pound so if you can spare a pound a month then great and that all goes towards um supporting uh writers and um various other things to do with the site as well so do go and check that out on jump cuts website barry what what an absolute treat. I'm sure I say this every week, but boy have I had a wonderful time talking about this film with you. It's as have I. It's been worth the the pain, uh the <laughs> discomfort the, of uh... It was all worth breaking <laughs> half your body for. Yeah, I <laughs> I would not recommend uh breaking two bones or or any bones really. It's quite Especially painful. at the same time. Ugh. Ugh. What a what an absolute shambles, honestly. Um I can't even I can't even blame the snow or alcohol, or anything. It was just me being clumsy. Uh, good times. Anyway, yes, this has been a this has been a delight uh, to talk about this wonderful film with you. So if you want to tell the, the good listeners where they can find you um, on Twitter and elsewhere. Sure, you can find me on Twitter at blevitt, L-E-V-I-T-T 93, uh, or you can find me on Letterboxd at uh, blevitt. Yes, indeed. And you can find me at Sarah Buttery on Twitter and you can find all of us at Jumpcast underscore. You can check out all of our written reviews, features, interviews, news and more at jumpcutonline.co.uk. 
and go straight to jumpcutonline.co.uk forward slash jumpcast to find out where you can find all of our podcast episodes. The next Jumpcast episode will be dropping on Monday and we'll be back with a brand new Disney episode next Friday. We'll see you then. Thank you.